Hello, Yoshi here, founder and editor of The Mill. Before we begin today's episode, I would just like to offer you a discount to become a member of The Mill. Members are part of our community. They're allowed to comment under stories. They're the people who make The Mill work. They, they fund all our journalism. They fund this podcast. And if you go to manchestermill.co.uk forward slash podcast special that's manchestermill.co.uk forward slash podcast special you will get a little discount especially for podcast listeners we're not we're not putting it anywhere else so that you can join up become one of our of, of our community and you can keep this podcast going thanks for listening thanks for joining up and now on to today's episode Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly with me, Daryl Morris, and the Mills editor, Yoshi Herman, as well. Hello, Yoshi. Hi there. Coming live from uh, from the home counties where my mum lives. Lovely. Excellent. How is the weather in the home counties? Because it's absolutely throwing it down in Manchester today. My garden is completely flooded. It's actually completely miserable here. Uh, it norm- normally has better weather in, in this bit of the south. I'm looking out the window. It's raining. It's grey. You can't see very far on the horizon. Yeah. It's, it's Manchester weather. Manchester yeah, you've weather. taken a slice of Manchester down south with you, Yoshi. Yeah, and my mum is delighted. She actually is. She was really worried recently about the, the plants not growing and, and the heat and not enough moisture and stuff. So she's, yeah, she's, she's delighted. Genuinely thrilled for the rain. Good stuff. Um, okay, um, uh, on this week's episode, lots to get our teeth into. We're going to talk about the Metrolink and some funding concerns for the Metrolink. We'll also talk about the new Factory Arts Centre as well, the big project in the centre of Manchester that's costing a fortune. Uh, lots of money concerns around that and around the Metrolink to get into on this week's podcast. Uh, firstly, we'll start with the Tory party conference. It's been the turn of the Tories to have their conference this week in Birmingham, of course. Uh, I was watching the Prime Minister's speech earlier on, Yoshi, and I watched the Chancellor's speech earlier this week and was I had my ear tuned. Uh, I was sort of in mill mode with my ear tuned for the word levelling up. And it didn't get a mention from any of them, nor did really kind of investment in the North in general. Uh, but there has been lots of chatter about it, or some chatter about it, at least around the fringes, haven't they? What have we learned this week, Yoshi, from the Tory party conference about the North of England? Well, I mean, first of all, it's just been an amazing conference, hasn't it? I, I it's struggle to think of a conference where there is this much sort of drama. You've got cabinet ministers coming out and saying, trying to basically influence government policy publicly, you know, not at all worried about coming out and saying, we should do this, we should do that. You've got this massive U-turn on the top rate of tax, you know, like late at night, the day before the Chancellor's giving his big speech. So they've briefed all the newspapers, hey, we're, you know, we're sticking by our plans. The lady's not for turning, you know, we're, we're willing to make unpopular decisions. And then they reverse their most unpopular decision. Just first of all, I just think it's such a, such a weird conference. It, it just, it has landed at the time when the party is sort of tearing itself apart. You've got Michael Gove, who just went on the TV on Sunday morning, just sat there and just threw a few grenades into the, effectively into number 10, you know, sitting a few meters away from Liz Truss. I just think it's been absolutely remarkable. On the North, I mean, I think I have heard a few people talk about leveling up, but I think an observation you made to me earlier today when we were chatting about it was that there's been a big shift, I think, or we're seeing a shift from the Boris Johnson policy approach, which was 
we are going to make specific investments in areas where there have not been enough investments in the past, in transport and in education and in high streets. And we're going to try and actively close the gap between London and the rest of the country. Now, whether he was actually doing anything effective on that front is much, much more open to to discussion. But that was certainly the sort of philosophical approach he was laying out. And I think your point was that they seemed to this this version of the Conservative government, this new administration seems to be kind of saying, well, yeah, levelling up is part of our growth plan. And if the country grows, the North will grow too, which is, you know, technically true. If, if we had fantastic growth across the country, it would, it would definitely benefit the North. But the things that we've talked about on this podcast before are big structural issues that need to be solved by big sustained public investments in health services in the north in education so that people have the right skills and in in transport and frankly in lots of other things where london has had much much more sustained investment than the southeast has uh, than than areas of the north have and there's they, that doesn't seem to be the track that the Tories are on anymore, if they ever seriously were. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? That that sort of folding, levelling up into the thing that they really want to talk about, which is growth. So it's quite it's a handy way, I suppose, isn't it, of them of them not of avoiding this moment where levelling up is dead. So if if, if somebody approaches Liz Truss or Kwasi Kwasang or the levelling up secretary, it'd be interesting to see whether or not they keep that position of levelling up secretary. I think just I think for aesthetics, they probably will. Um, and 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 if somebody approaches them and says, oh, "What's happening with levelling up?" They can say, "Well, it's all part of our bigger growth." plan what does that mean i suppose is the big question isn't it for those projects that that um are looking for funding and and want some cash especially when you consider that their growth plan the sort of the sort of economics of it that we have so far do disproportionately affect the southeast of england yeah i I think it's a good question i think you have to give credit on one point which is one of the really ambitious proposals in the north has been this um, transport for the north proposal to create new electrified railways across the north a plan that's been broadly called northern powerhouse rail right and boris johnson's government actually massively downgraded those plans it previously they committed to them then they really downgraded them and Liz Truss has said, and we haven't seen any details, she has said, she confirmed this week, I think it was to ITV, that there would be a new line from Liverpool to Hull going via Bradford, which would be huge for the North. I mean, you know, we need to see the details, but that would be a proper investment that would genuinely make it easier for someone living in Bradford to work in Manchester or someone living in Liverpool to work in Leeds. I mean, that's what the whole Northern Powerhouse idea was about. Actually, there are these big cities with lots of talented people that are actually pretty close together and you could have a much more fluid labour market. You could have people um, starting a business in one city and hiring people in the other cities much more effectively if you had good transport. So if that genuinely does get built, and it would take a long time, it would take more than a decade. But if that genuinely did get built, that would be huge. And Liz Truss is committing to that. So I think you have to give some credit there. About sort of folding into the growth plan, I mean, that's clearly a huge cop-out. We know that the that economic growth would be very important for any bit of the country. But the point of levelling up was about saying, even when the British economy was growing really well, for example, under New Labour, you had some really strong growth years. 
but you had a lot more public investment per capita in some of these big projects, in some of these big areas, sorry, going to London and going to the southeast. And we need to change that. And we need to address like long-term underinvestment in the north by making special and large investments in bits of the north and, and, and bits of the rest of the country that isn't the southeast. And I think if you move away from that and you just say, well, they'll benefit from the proceeds of growth, you're back to the sort of underinvestment scenario we've had for decades. So I don't think any voter up here is going to take that sort of ruse seriously. Having said that, we clearly this economy needs stronger growth than it's had in recent years. God knows if this government has the ability to kickstart that. Very interesting. It's also politically quite interesting that they haven't shouted more about that Northern Rail, uh, Northern Powerhouse Rail uh, element of their policy platform because, um, you know, Liz Truss will have to hang on to some red wall seats if she's going to form a government again uh, in a couple of years' time. And there was a, a poll by Redfield Wilton at the start of the week that had Labour on 61% in amongst uh, the red wall seats to the Tories 23. That's an astonishing gap they've got to close. And you'd have thought there'd have been a chance to at least make up a bit of ground with uh, that kind of a policy announcement. Um, We'll keep an eye on it as ever. And another story that we're watching as well very closely this week, uh, Yoshi, something that uh, happened since we last were in your podcast feeds. Greater Manchester Police began a fresh search for the remains of Keith Bennett, one of the victims of the Moors murderers, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. Uh, last week, an amateur investigator and crime author called Russell Edwards told police that he'd found a child's jawbone on the Moors. That's part of media frenzy and a new search that has been fruitless, hasn't it, Yoshi? You've spoken to Russell Edwards, haven't you? Take us into this story, Yoshi, having spoken to some of the key stakeholders, this really uh, sensitive story. I should say it wasn't me who spoke to um, this this guy. It was it was Jack on Monday. But I can kind of I think I can give you the the gist of it. So this is the search for Keith Bennett, which has been in this on off on off thing for decades now because he was killed in he was killed in sixty four by Ian Brady and Myra Hindley and. The tip-off came from this guy, Russell Edwards, as you say. He's a cold case sort of obsessive. He's been searching for Bennett for, I think, the best part of a, of a decade now. And, you know, I have to say, when Jack spoke to him on Monday, he did call me up immediately and say, like, I've got a couple of concerns or doubts about this. You know, this is a guy, Edwards, who claims to have identified Jack the Ripper via a silk shawl that apparently belonged to one of the victims. And that claim has been roundly criticised by historians and, and other researchers. I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't scrutinised that claim, so to be fair, I, I can't give you my take on it. But Jack spoke to this guy, Edwards, and he basically says he completed a dig on the 1st of September and he found what he thought was human tissue, essentially sort of fat tissue that breaks down to a sort of uh, mucus in the soil. And he took photographs and then showed those photographs to a forensic archaeologist the next day. It was her that spotted the jawbone, the supposed jawbone. It wasn't actually Edwards himself in person. So that raises a few questions i think i think you know if there's a jawbone there which was visible in a photo I, I don't know why he didn't spot it but you know i suppose people can speculate edwards told us quote we didn't see it on the day if i'd have seen that jawbone on the day i'd have called the police there and then so that's his answer to that question he says it wasn't until last wednesday when a second expert um identified the jawbone that he called the police so again i sort of wonder why he didn't call the police initially and I, i've sort of heard that the police only got a few hours notice of this before edwards allegedly told the media about it so there's a 
a bit of emerging criticism here, and I think you could probably detect the tone of that in our Monday briefing, but, but I think um, other media outlets are also expressing this now, that perhaps this guy, Edwards, has been speaking to the media a lot and publicising his role in it before the police have found anything. I mean, to be clear, the police have found nothing of interest on them all so, yet. They might find something, but they haven't found anything yet. It feels like a little bit of a, a bit of a tricky one, a, a bit of a doubtful one. Keith's brother, Alan Yoshi, has also spoken out around this as well, hasn't he? He, he posted something on Facebook earlier this week. Yeah, he seems to be sceptical of this guy, Edwards. He seems to be saying, can you spend a bit less time talking to the media and a bit more time with the police identifying where this supposed bit of human remains you know, actually is located. Um, and then what's happened in the past 24 hours is that Edwards has been speaking to ITV News to sort of, you know, effectively criticise the Bennett family. I think we've got a clip of that. I've literally dedicated seven years of my life to try and help put find justice for Keith, closure for your family, and to defeating Brady in his, um, his ambition to create the most perfect murder. And this is the thanks I get. Instead of Ryan, not going to meet me. Let me show you what I've got. Explain the stories that are just trying to destroy me and my reputation, which is what's happened since on social media since. Russell Edwards speaking to ITV earlier this week. We spoke about this story on my on my uh, TV show over the weekend, Yoshi, and we were talking and sort of discussing how difficult these moments are when they come back up again. You know, this really significant story for a generation of young people and parents in the 60s in and around, well, across Greater Manchester, across the country, really, but, but obviously specifically in Greater Manchester and around Saddleworth Moor and, and, and Glossop and that kind of area. We had somebody who texted in from that area I can't remember quite, quite where they lived but sort of um, that end of Greater Manchester saying that you know that it, it, it triggered some really awful memories for them that you know that, that sort of living in fear in, 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 in that era um, about what could happen the uncertainty as well you know what, what on earth was going on here and uh, it, it, it's a bit of a reminder isn't it how these stories can kind of ricochet through communities and through generations really mm. yeah I think that's a good point I mean I think the first thought that I always have with Saddleworth Moor is I love going up to the moor. I like park my car on the side of the road right at the top of the moor and, and walk around, right? And one of the places I park my car, like when I've got friends visiting or something and they want to walk on the moors, is, a, is that the little car park right where there is a little memorial? I don't know, probably an unofficial little memorial to Bennett, right? And I think also to the other kids, but there are pictures of Bennett. And... These murders, I mean, they've really shaped how free people in Manchester feel about the Moors. I mean, I'd be interested to hear from listeners about this, but I've always felt since I moved in Manchester, when I tell people that I go walking on the Moors quite a lot, people are like, oh, the, you know, Saddleworth Moor. Not, not everyone, but I was once, you know, in a bar with a couple of friends and this, this young, young person I was with who, who is a friend of a friend was like, oh, I wouldn't go to the Moors, you know. They think it's a bit like creepy or something. And I understand that because the reputation of, the, of Saddleworth Moor has been so coloured by these atrocities like the, the, these 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 murders and yeah the, these stories like this clearly bring all of that back I'm not saying you know it's a good thing or a bad thing it's just I think that's a fact I, I, I think like this sort of psychic geography of, 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 of the places we live are really shaped by stories like this that's one thing I've sort of been thinking about I think the other thing is about the family I mean you know you lose a loved one and then you have this awful trauma of not knowing the remains are and this 
you know, really cruel cat and mouse that the murderers here, Brady and Hindley, played about where the body was and pretending they, they were going to reveal it and then revealing the wrong location. That's been awful for the family. And I think this private investigator, he better not be wasting the family's time and the police's time. You know, I'm, I'm not saying he is or he isn't, I don't know, but there are some, clearly some doubts about how, how legitimate some of these you know how legitimate this tip was and i i really really hope he's operating in good faith he's not doing it for the publicity for for the project he's working on and that he really does think there's a genuine chance that he found human remains because if not you know it's just more trauma it just must be awful for the family and yeah i just i it's pretty devastating isn't it to think about that for sure it is, yeah. It's a story that's not going away as well. The police, as they say at the moment, haven't found any remains. ManchesterMill.co.uk is where you go to subscribe for news on that and analysis as well as that story continues to develop. Elsewhere this week, Yoshi, we need to talk about Metrolink because uh, this sort of artery of Greater Manchester, or certainly like sort of like the city and the surrounding areas into Rochdale and Oldham and Salford, etc., is in a spot of bother and a bit of uncertainty around the future of its funding. Yeah, and what I hear... And I haven't done loads of reporting on this, but you know what you just hear from people in in in, in policy circles and in politics and stuff, is that Metrolink is in real trouble. I mean, it's it's actually not just from sources; it, it, it's on the public record. Local leaders are dipping into cash reserves. You know, we're talking the cash reserves of the Greater Manchester Combined Authority are currently they they are about to keep Metrolink going. Um, so so Metrolink is operated by a, a private company that has that, that is sort of overseen by Transport for Greater Manchester, Metrolink Limited, right? It was bailed out big time by the government during the pandemic because obviously almost no one's riding uh, on Metrolink. So you've got a massive grant of about £120 million. Um, that was between March 2020 and April this year. So we're talking really large amounts of money to keep it going in the pandemic. Then... My understanding from a recent MEN story was that there was an added pot of funding uh, from the government that was an extra 20 million and that that lasts until kind of around, around about now, basically. And the the word is that the government, the Department of Transport has said that there won't be any more COVID sort of funding, there won't be recovery funding. And this all comes down to patronage. This all comes down to how many people are using it. Um, the the MEN reported that patronage, the number of people riding the, the Metrolink, is well below pre-COVID levels. There was a good story actually by the the MEN's transport correspondent. I think I think she said that passenger numbers fell from about forty five million in twenty nineteen to thirty million over the, over the last twelve months. So that's a big drop. And yeah, my understanding is that this is very high up the list of local concerns for for for. for Andy Burnham, his staff, etc. So what what's going to happen? I mean, what, what what would the implications be if this doesn't resolve itself? Yeah, I have to be honest. I don't really know. Clearly, if the GMCA is is dipping into its reserves, those reserves will need to be replenished, and the GMCA does not have a great deal of money. It doesn't have many tax raising powers. It gets pots of money from the government. It doesn't have a particularly independent, it doesn't have a, it barely has an independent way of, of, of raising cash. So it's not good news to be dipping into its reserves. They will need to be replenished. The practical outcome 
or the practical implications for Metrolink, I think those are unclear. I've heard, and I, you know, I don't have this confirmed, I don't have it on the record, I've heard that there's been talk of, of cutting lines or, 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 or at least looking at the option of cutting lines, which would be really bad because Metrolink has been a big success. It's very, very popular with passengers. It's been growing. It's still only a very small proportion of overall public transport journeys in Manchester, but it's growing. It gets people who don't ride buses to take public transport, which is a big reason that these light rail things are sort of taking off in, in, in cities around the world. And, you know, that one source I spoke to was sort of saying, look, this is a really big problem. There are serious concerns about, about Metrolink and whether it can be kept in its current shape. The other person I spoke to, a different source in these sort of worlds, said the assumption that they've been working on perhaps optimistically, is that even if they're unable to organise any further extensions of Metrolink, that it wouldn't dwindle from its sort of current level. So that's a different perspective. Um, I think we'll just have to wait and see. Jack Delhanty's having a little look at it. If, if anyone in the audience or any, any listeners know anything, do get a, drop him a little tip at, at jack at manchestermill.co.uk. We're, 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 we're trying to find out more. The MEN's done some good work on this. And we're going to be doing some some work on it. Um, so if you, if you want to read more about this kind of thing, this kind of in-depth policy report, Please do subscribe to the mill. We've actually picked up some really um, some nice new members from the podcast. People emailing and saying I joined as a member after listening to the podcast. But every single person we get is is brilliant. We're trying to have a big uh, growth month this month to, to get on track to hit a few targets. Um, we're really pushing hard to get to thousand five hundred members. And yeah, if you if you listen to this, you'd love you'd like to hear more of this kind of journalism. You'd like to read an extra couple of editions of the mill every week. You'd like to be kind of one of the patrons of this kind of journalism that we do and, and allow this podcast to continue please do join up it's uh, yeah, £7 a month 70 quid a year we'd be grateful now is the time manchestermill.co.uk is where you go to subscribe yeah actually Daryl why don't we offer the listeners a little membership discount very nice idea well you, you have the authorities to do that I don't so <laughs> people go to manchestermill.co.uk forward slash podcast special just write in manchestermill.co.uk and then uh, podcast special you will be able to get a little special discount if you do it in the next few days, just for you, just so that we can yeah, thank our, our podcast listeners, get more of you guys subscribing to the mail and, and on a membership list. Let's uh, podcast special after manchestermail.co.uk. Okay, a couple of quick hits from us, Yoshi, on some other bits and bobs going on. Uh, and talking about funding around the Metrolink, uh, some issues around the funding of the Factory International, this art centre in the centre of Manchester. If you've been anywhere near Manchester, or if you get the train into Manchester from sort of Salford Way, I do this quite regularly, you will see it kind of uh, being built, constructed over time. 200 million over budget. What, what's, what's the story here? Look, I, th- I think the story here is that the factory is a massive, massive new, um, new development, this cultural centre. They're actually calling it Factory International now, that's the, that's the name. There's more overspend, millions more overspend. I think in, in total now the, the entire budget has gone up to around 200 million. So for journalists had their first look at it last week. Phil Griffin has written a really good piece for us. Uh, join us up as a member because you'll get that in your inboxes this week. Phil Griffin has written an excellent little um, dispatch because he went to this opening. So I think the big question about this is what are they actually going to put inside the factory? What are they going to put on there? It's up to Manchester International Festival to sort of programme for it, I understand. But it's, it's cost an awful lot. It's cost way more than it was supposed to. I think we should be excited about any new big venue like this. But also, I think the big question is, does Manchester have the sort of cultural imagination and cultural leadership and resources to put stuff in this vast new cultural, cultural space? 
all feels quite millennium dome doesn't it the conversation around that <laughs> hope not hope not um, yeah, yeah hopefully a better outcome um, also this week Yoshi oh, this is uh, this is I mean uh, devastating and enraging in lots of ways a few more details uh, from the scandal engulfing a mental health hospital in Greater Manchester what more do we know yeah, the new development is that we've learned that the healthcare watchdog, the Care Quality Commission, actually praised the Edenfield Centre shortly before the BBC, you know, found all these horrific failings that we talked about last week. CQC, is, is they're the ones who do the inspections. They talked about strong, motivated leaders. The BBC actually found was that people were treated inhumanely, degrading treatment, that sort of thing. So I think it raises really serious questions about whether we are actually inspecting these kind of facilities in in a robust way. Okay, uh, another story we'll keep an eye on for sure. Well, speaking of stories, keeping an eye on, we, we've talked quite a lot on the podcast and at the mill about the uh, Wigan and Lee flashes, this beautiful sort of hub of nature uh, in and around Wigan and Lee. And there's been a bit of an update on that this week. Officially declared a nature reserve. Is that right? Yeah, it's now. Well, I think mill readers already knew about this, but because Jack Delhanty's written about it a couple of times, and we kind of previewed it, but it is now officially going to be a, a nature reserve. It's one of the biggest in the country. It's brilliant, and we wrote about the um, the willow tit, the the, the bird that, that loves um, living in, in these kind of post industrial environments. Um, go on the mill and search um, uh, Wigan flashes because you'll find a couple of great Jack Delhanty members only pieces about that. And yeah, we're going to visit it once the the nature reserve is sort of properly up and running, but. Uh, more details about this coming up in our in our newsletters um, because it's just a yeah it's, it's such a good bit of news and a great way to round off this podcast. Okay, quick look ahead to what's going on on the horizon, Yoshi. What are you working on in the mill newsroom, my friend? What's happening? Well, uh, last weekend we couldn't get our weekend read out. That Danny r- brilliant piece that she wrote about this uh, this man who had this funeral where, where none of his friends were there. We we couldn't run it for because there was a, a last minute sort of big development. We're hoping to run that this weekend. Uh, fingers crossed for that. But if it's not that, it's going to be something else brilliant. So yeah, keep keep an eye keep an eye on the mill because I, you know, that story is coming out soon, and I think it's going to be quite special. Was that, I just hear a, is that a landline phone uh, phone in the background there, Yoshi? <laughs> that was ringing. That was the noise. Yeah, that was my mom's landline phone ringing. I have I have disabled it. A nice a nice old fashioned sound that. A bit, a bit sort of deeper and more authoritative than the iPhone uh, ringtone, isn't it? I think. I love a landline. I was, I tried to hook up our um, office. We have got a landline, but no one ever rings it. There is actually a news desk. Is phone. <laughs> yeah, I, I, sh- I wish I knew the number of it, but um, we've got a news desk phone. I love a landline. My mum's even got one of those ones where you turn the sort of round thing around. I mean, it's an absolute nightmare to, to actually use, but, um, but yeah, love a landline. Why not? Nice. <laughs> uh, okay, let's have a look ahead to the weekend as well. Uh, we'd like to offer you some bits and bobs to do around Greater Manchester. What have you got your eye on? Well, my recommendation, not not that I've been to the show, but Sophie went to it um, and, and gave it a good review, is the Glass Menagerie at the Royal Exchange. I mean, we've given, I think the mill, it's fair to say, has given the, the Royal Exchange a bit of a hard time this year over over the way they laid off staff and, 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 and the issues they've had and the cancelled shows and stuff. But, you know, the Glass Menagerie is, by all accounts, a really strong show. Sophie wrote a brilliant review of it recently on the mail and there are still tickets I think it, it finishes on Sunday and there are still tickets I, I, I'm, look, I'm on the website now there are tickets for Saturday there are tickets for Sunday there are a few weekend performances looks like there are more for sort of Friday night and um, and Saturday but yeah it'd be nice given that this is one of the first 
to be honest, it's one of the first big shows they've had this year after the cancellations. You can go on Saturday at 2.30. You can go on Saturday at 7.30. You can go on Friday evening, but there's nothing on Sunday. So, so get, get, head over to the Royal Exchange um, in the next few days. Yeah, good. I, I am actually going tomorrow night, Thursday. Well, tonight is it'll be in, pop, in people's podcast face, but Thursday night I'm going to be uh, going to go watch that. I studied the Glass Menagerie at, at school, and I'm sort of like, you know, when you when you've studied something, a piece of theatre or literature or something, and then you encounter it in adult life, it can sort of like send chills through you, can't it? it depends what sort of like you don't necessarily always hang on to the best of memories of having studied something to its bones, picked it apart, uh, and poked it and prodded it from every possible angle. But I'm kind of looking to see what they've done with it because I think they've put a bit of a a modern twist on it so it'll be interesting uh, to see that really worth checking out I'm sure and see you there on Thursday night or over the weekend if you're uh, if you're going uh, my nod for the weekend is the Manchester Half Marathon uh, this weekend which is obviously if you're running you'll already be subscribed if you know somebody who's running you're already planning to go I'm sure but if you're a bit of a loose end uh, on Sunday afternoon a marathon or a half marathon is, is perhaps one of the most joyful life-affirming experiences that you can be part of uh, go down there cheer them on but, but sort of seeing, every, seeing these people push pushing their bodies and pushing themselves and and the sort of emotion of it of those people who are running for charities or for you know causes that they're passionate about or people that they've lost not only do you obviously get to cheer them on but you get to be part of the big emotion of that it is um, it's a beautiful beautiful experience actually unless you're trying to get somewhere through the town in which case it's going to be a nightmare because there's lots and lots of road closures uh, from Deansgate down Bridgewater Way and uh, towards Salford into Salford as well so really worth checking their website um, if you need to travel on Sunday because the Manchester Half Marathon is happening enjoy it and good luck if you're getting involved uh, and don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast you'll get it for the first time in your feed as soon as it gets published and hot off the press a special offer for you to subscribe to The Mill if you want some quality journalism and deep dives into fascinating stories in your inbox at a cut price now is the time manchestermill.co.uk slash podcast special is the place to go manchestermill.co.uk slash podcast special we're back in your feed next week for now yoshi thank you thank you very much